Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's Not The Top 20 podcast, Monday edition. It's Ali Maxwell and on the line with me is George Ellick. We mentioned this last week when we did our championship draft team that this week we wanted to go a little more serious. Uh, We are aware at the moment that there's a lot of concern about the future of the EFL and its clubs and we want to make sure that we are responsible for bringing you as much as we can on that. But we also know uh, that there is uh, appetite to to take our minds off that as well. And, and hence, we've done a few extra bits and bobs over the last few weeks. Uh, George Ellick on the line with me. Uh, George, how did we approach things this week? Yeah, after the very serious matter of the championship draft, <laughs> uh, we've actually done something fairly serious here where... You know, it's it's kind of five weeks since we last had any football. Um, we're now entering the second phase of lockdown. Um, and I guess it's a good chance for us to have a look at the situation at the moment, speak to someone who knows more than, than you or I or, or most other people in the athletics, Matt Slater, and just check in and, and see what the current, you know, what, what the current vibe is around the EFL, whether anything's changed from the doom or gloom from a few weeks ago, whether any outcome is more likely than not, uh, whether we should be more concerned or less concerned for certain clubs and, and if there's any anything we can do going forward to ensure that the club's welfare and safety is, is maintained. So we have we've spoken to Matt um, on the phone already uh, about all of these questions, someone who is covering this stuff regularly for our sponsors, The Athletic, and doing so absolutely brilliantly as well so um what we learned well what we knew already but what we learned certainly five weeks ago when matt was on this very podcast uh, at, at the initial time where football had just been suspended a few days before what you learn quite quickly is that with a lot of uh, journalistic experience behind him and especially as a an investigative journalist he's got excellent contacts but he's also got such a wealth of knowledge about the EFL itself as a, a South End fan someone who lives very close to Macclesfield which is also a, a club close to his heart he's got that brilliant mix of ability to talk about all sorts of uh, important and serious topics but also with the the perspective of being a fan himself. So uh, here's what happened when we spoke to Matt Slater earlier today about what I'm calling the EFL versus COVID-19. Those of you who listened to the podcast, I think about five weeks ago it was, Matt, we spoke about the outset and the onset of COVID-19 and what it meant for the EFL, certainly from my point of view, uh, it was the moment where it dawned on me that this wasn't going to be just a flash in the pan for football. This was going to be something that really made an impact and not going to be a positive impact on the game. So just to start with, in your opinion, what's changed? I mean, a, a lot has happened. We may not have left our houses very much, but a lot's happened in the last five weeks. Uh, what's changed in your mind as to how football's going to look once we get through this? I mean, that's, that's a really good question. I mean... It... In a, in a strange way, you know, everything's changed, but but sort of nothing has, um, you know. So so we haven't we haven't played any football. Um, the I think there's a much much wider understanding now of, you know, the the public health crisis, the economic uh, impact of the crisis. Um, I think everyone's kind of got their head around that. You know, you know, lockdown I think has been very very significant um, in that regard. I think everyone's a lot more informed about this and I think has got an understanding of how long this could, you know, we could be talking about this and dealing with this. 
you know, long after we're going back to school and, and hopefully congregating in pubs and restaurants and seeing sport again. I mean, we this this is huge. Um, it's the biggest it's the biggest challenge to I think to professional sport in this country, but but possibly you know the economy you know outside of war. Um, so I think that's a big big change in in five weeks. Um, but then just from a sort of football point of view, and I, I think particularly the EFL, but I'm not maybe it's unfair to pick on the EFL in that way. I think I think it's all of the leagues really. Um, you know, not not a huge amount has changed because football's not in charge of this timetable. Um, and um, there was an initial uh, reaction of shock, I think, shock and panic. Um, and we had a sort of incredible flurry for sort of two or three weeks of of ideas uh, being semi-seriously suggested or floated or, you know, just released and leaked and tested for reaction. And, you know, all the various agendas, um, different points of view, very different clubs, of course, in the FL, which is, you know, part of one, one how wonderful it is, but two, how very hard it is to, to run um, at the best of times. Um, you know, so there was a, a big element of that. And I think, you know, there's because nothing's really changed and, and we're, we're sort of waiting for these impacts to, to play out. People have calmed down a bit. Maybe they're having their conversations more soberly, more seriously. They're, maybe they're not leaking to journalists so much. Um, and I think ideas that were kind of shot down three, four weeks ago as being ridiculous, and of course we wouldn't do that, some of those have come back because they are, well, they're, they're sometimes the, the least worst option. And What sort think- of things are on your mind, Matt, when you talk about these ideas from a few weeks ago that might be resurfacing now? Well, I mean, a really, like a really obvious one is, you know, null and void. So people, people sort of floated null and void five weeks ago. Of course, Karen Brady's the probably the best example. She was obviously talking about the Premier League and West Ham, but you know, that's that's not an insane idea now. It's not an insane idea now for lots of reasons. One, one because the FA have sanctioned it in non-league football, um, and you now have a a kind of growing, I would say, um, a p- body of opinion out there. That suggests, okay, look, we, let's end it now because this sort of prolonging forever and ever is costing us a fortune, and it's going to start to impact on next year. And I'm I'm really worried about the business. You know, so do we end it now? And if we end it now, do we end it with the table as it is? Do we go points per game, or and then everyone will sort of say, well, that's not fair for this reason, and the the schedule's not fair, and so everyone's played everybody, and we're on a charge, they're not on a charge. We brought someone in, someone was injured. Everyone, you know, will have a, a problem with with points per game or, or, or sort of looking at the tables and saying, that's it, we're, we're done, guys. So then it becomes null and void. Um, so that's that's one example. And then I think another one is um, this idea, I think, that whatever football does, football should do it together, that kind of collective is best. And I, look, I, I get that. I think collective would be best, but it's impossible. So we're seeing that with everything from the player salary issue, you know, how how basically impossible it is to get people to agree on that. And it's now gone from being a conversation around, OK, let's let's try and do it all together. OK, we can't do it all together. Can we do it league wide? Mm, no, that's going to be hard as well. Can we do it within clubs? Well, you know, I'm, I'm seeing that the clubs are now negotiating with players on an individual basis because they're finding it really hard to get agreement within the dressing room. So. 
I think I think those are sort of two good examples. This idea that null and void. No, 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 we can't do that. That's I mean, that's ridiculous. Well, not not so ridiculous now. As an idea, I'm not saying I back it or not. I'm just saying as an idea. Uh, and then this idea that, that let's respond to this as as a group. Interesting, of course, to hear a, a South End fan advocating null and void. There, I'm only joking. I'm only joking, Matt. Of course, oh, but no, it's no, no. We, we can we can do we can do we can talk about South End. South End deserves to be relegated. The 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 way we have played and the way we have run that club. Uh, no, that's the, I'm I'm a firm believer that relegation is the um, is a fitting reward for our efforts. So I don't I don't but, want us to be let off. And I guess that's kind of. The key issue here, and it's what annoys me. I mean, I support a team who would benefit from from points per game or the current lead table, but I also don't want it to happen because for all the talk of unfairness in terms of players and in terms of injuries, there's literally nothing more unfair possible, either in a beneficiary term or not, than, than just cancelling a season that's two-thirds of the way through. I mean, we still hear from Rick Parry, whose you know, communications from the EFL have been pretty good over the last few weeks. We still hear that there is certainly a determination to make sure that the the league is completed do you think that's still looking possible likely even or, or do you think as time goes on it's looking less and less so i think it's i think it's a little bit of, of all of those options really it's it's look it's it's still the preferred option if there was a vote right now i think it i think it would still be let's 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 keep trying to do that Certainly, as you go into the Premier League and, and the Championship, I think I think what's happening is uh, the further down the pyramid you go, and I think uh, if you want sort of evidence of this and this conversation and, and how it will how it will play out, you only have to look north of the border to look at the saga in Scotland. Um, survival and the impact on the businesses and what kind of a league will we have next year? The year after becomes more important becomes you know instead of just well wouldn't it be absolutely awful if if team x were deprived of this or if team y got away with that or oh you know my my team is still in the mix and you know you know of course we want to finish the season that's the only fair way to do this and why what's the rush this season has started why are we worried about a season that hasn't started yet the, the, those conversations are still the com the loudest conversations now. They still are. They were definitely were a month ago, and that was I would say you know ninety five plus percent of people subscribe to that view. I don't want to put a number on it now, but I can tell you that the the, the, the percentage of people who are thinking mothballing, hibernating, whatever it is, batting down the hatches, that, let's let's call this season off and and absolutely shut down our our businesses so that. When we're ready to play again, we at least have something to to open up again. Because at the moment, this is just bleeding, with with no money coming in, and we are mortgaging the future. Well, all we're doing with all these handouts we're getting, they're they're not donations, they're advances. So that conversation has has got louder, and I think it is being split on on sort of league league basis. So I think the further you go down the table the louder that conversation gets. And at some point we will, I think, get to a tipping point where where enough people in League Two will go, well, look, this is what we want to do. And then it'll be League One. Now, whether it will ever get as far as the Championship saying, let's let's call it off before we have to, before the government tells us or whatever, before, you know, 
you know, to proactively to call it off. I, I don't know, because I think the, the Championship is so wedded to what the Premier League wants to do. And the Premier League, for for basically for, for financial reasons, and the impact of potentially years of lawsuits is is really determined to finish the season. And I think, I think you know, the, the two, its reasons are very different to, let's say, League Two's reasons. It's interesting, Matt. I think... I think first and foremost, we, sh- we should more or less say that as a given, and it's been discussed on this podcast with you, with a few others, certainly also on the podcast that you were on, uh, the Ornstein and Chapman podcast uh, by The Athletic at the end of last week, where uh, which was a real deep dive into this situation and concerning the EFL, is that actually governing the EFL is incredibly difficult. And one key reason is uh, the teams in the championship and towards the top of the championship especially have next to nothing in common in terms of uh, the business in, but also in terms of their sort of priorities uh, as those teams down in League 2 and increasingly in League 1 as well but what I'm interested in is that even within leagues uh, ostensibly clubs that are a similar size or at least very much grouped together in the division you're seeing plenty of disagreement as well and, and that can't be very helpful from a governance perspective either I, I'm talking specifically i suppose about uh, a disagreement i saw between the two loudest league one chairmen sir andy holt and darren mccantony of accrington and peterborough as you mentioned they've got different priorities they are largely at different ends of the table although neither of them particularly at the extreme uh, top or bottom Um, but even they are, are very much in disagreement over this which you know given that they are sort of the as i say the loudest and i don't mean that in a pejorative sense, that they are the ones that are most open uh, on social media, most available uh, with their opinions to to the casual fan. Uh, even they can't agree on things. So you know, it it, it just puts the governance, the EFL, uh, in such a tough spot in terms of being able to, with with all situations, but specifically this one, actually find an outcome that that everyone's happy with and everyone's suited by. Absolutely, I've, I've been fascinated by that because I. You know, I, I like them both. They actually get on pretty well as well. They, you know, they, you know, they're not, you know, they're not sort of bosom buddies or anything. And you know, their 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 other businesses are, are very different. Um, you know, Dara I think lives in the states pretty much these days, whereas Andy Hull is a, you know, is very much a sort of northwest guy. But they see eye to eye on a lot of football matters, and but they are by by far the most transparent uh, and accountable. Um, club owners in in the EFL probably English football to be honest um and I and I, I was fascinated by their by their sort of exchange and um you know how they sort of then kind of agreed to keep talking and you know let's have a debate and let's let's get on zoom and all that and I which you know I think it's wonderful and be all right there's a really good example of of two good owners who uh, really care about their clubs who are doing it right who think about them as uh, sustainable businesses uh, yeah, different budgets. They're different clubs. Um, um, you know, Andy Hull is coming at it from his agenda, which is absolutely fine. Um, which is, we are effectively a League Two budget, possibly even a National League budget sort of team. Um, within our kind of collective cultural memory as a club, we have gone bust, and we have been close to the wall a few times. You know, Andy Holt came in like a lot of owners, you know, kind of almost sort of reluctantly and by accident and has done a phenomenal job there in in 
every time I go to Exton Stanley as an away fan, the ground gets a bit better. You know, he really cares and thinks. He's thinking about driving revenues. It's not showing off. He's trying to make that a community-grounded club uh, and in trying to encourage us all to spend a bit more there and all, all good stuff. You know, um, Darabic Anthony at well, Peterborough, they're, they, you know, they're a bigger club. They've got a bigger catchment area. You know, they're, you know they, they, they possibly feel that maybe they're sort of a championship sort of level kind of club. Um, you know, that's, that, that's the EFL in a microcosm. You know, they share a division together. I, I, I don't off the top of my head know Peterborough's budget, but I've got a pretty good handle on, on, on Accrington's. But, but within that division, you've also got Sunderland, you've got Ipswich. You know, Ipswich are, uh, are owned by, a, you know, a guy who's almost worth a billion. Um, you know, Sunderland, as, as we know, a sort of, you know, a premiership, a premiership club, you know, I mean, they, you know, it's a Premier League type club anyway, that's, that's certainly their set up and their, and their, their history. Um, you know, you go down, if you look at the, the EFL in, in general, you've got clubs on parachute payments who are, who are earning, who have revenues of, you know, 100, 100 million or so. And you've got, you know, Morecambe's and Mac Towns who, who earn, who earn a, you know, a 50th of that. Yeah. I'm I'm quite interested as well, uh, moving away from those two because they do get a lot of airtime on social media. <laughs> and actually, wondering if you've got any insight from from other clubs and and clubs in different situations. I mean, it's it's been mentioned at the top of the show. You're a South End fan, and I know that uh, I believe anyway that geography puts you close to Macclesfield as well. It's another club that yeah. you know very well. Now, not necessarily picking on those two clubs, but what a lot of fans are concerned about, and what we're getting a lot of messages and questions about are how many clubs are simply going to cease to exist, if any? And, and why is that? And how concerned should we be uh, about the prospect of clubs that potentially were already towards crisis clubs, if not definitely crisis clubs, uh, you know, what the reality is? Because it's actually been quite quiet on that front in the last few weeks, which has been either concerning or reassuring. I'm not quite sure which. Well, you ask a really good question, and I and I don't have a a firm answer, and I don't I don't have a list. There there, there is this. There's rumoured to be a list somewhere. Uh, I don't even know if it's a real list, as in that someone's written anything down. But there but there are there are good people now at the EFL. Rick Parry, the chairman, is a richly experienced guy. Um, done lots of jobs. He's the Premier League's first ever chief exec. Um, obviously, he's well known for his connections with Liverpool. Done lots of jobs in in in, in football and sport, um, and they're they're a, they're a quite a good team now there at EFL, and there's been a, a huge uh, I, I would say change in in attitude around um, financial fair play, insolvency, you know, whatever however you want to sort of label this, since Sean Harvey left. Now this um, obviously predates the coronavirus crisis and I think it's a good thing that um, post Berry and I and I I think I've said this on podcasts before I don't know if I've said it on this one I don't think fans realize how close Bolton were to going it, it the EFL probably broke its own rules to keep Bolton alive and I and I you know I know that would probably upset Berry that the two situations were different there was a lot there's a big difference in terms of direction of travel and the type of people the EFL were dealing with at those two clubs. But in terms, if you were to look at it really black and white in the rule book, there wasn't a huge amount of difference. Um, so we almost lost two last summer. Um, so I think that if that wasn't a great big 
alarm bell, you know, a red balloon going up. You know, I'm not sure what is. You know, losing two for the first time since you know the early nineties was 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 shocking. And 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 I knew, let's say at Christmas time, there were another half a dozen you'd be looking at going. Well, look, these these guys are pretty clearly trading insolvently. Um, the EFL knew this as well. Now that's not the the first time that's happened. I mean that. You know, ITV digital crisis in the early noughties, um, you know, the 90s, there were, you know, regular insolvencies. For, for EFL clubs to be sailing close to the wind is, is, is not new. What was a bit concerning was that things had appeared to be getting better after ITV digital, which I think was 2002, 2003. Um, there'd been a kind of tightening up and, you know, just, just clubs were just being more closely monitored um that just got a bit lax i think in the last few years certainly the championship and then it was sort of it was bleeding down into lead one as well the, you know this just people just overreaching massive overspending really um so the leagues wasn't as robust as it should have been coming into this crisis no one saw this crisis but did they see any crisis no, not really. I mean, is, is football as an industry unique in that regard? You know, no. But, you know, like I said, they, they, they weren't as a group particularly well prepared for a shock of this magnitude. Your point is right, though. You know, we, we're, in a, we're in a holding pattern. Um, they've been advanced lots of money, uh, which has helped them with their cash flow. Um, certainly compared to the Premier League, this issue around player contracts is a much bigger factor. Again, that will be one of the reasons why EFL clubs are not minded or more concerned about this perennial, this eternal season, because certainly in League Two, whole swathes of, of players, you know, some, some squads will, will, will see two thirds of their players go out of contracts on June 30th. So massive kind of competitive integrity issues there and who's going to be on the team and, you know, can we play deep into July and August? Not so much an issue in the Premier League where it's a far smaller number and, you know, they have bigger squads and the wherewithal to offer short term contracts. I mean, that that's a, that's a, that's a big part of that whole debate there. But um, we, we haven't seen that lurch, that collapse yet. Now that's, I think, because the whole economy is sort of kind of, you know, has tensed up. There have, been, you know, there, we know there are furlough schemes. We know that, um, that, that loans are available. And that I know the EFL are really trying to, in, to help clubs and engage with clubs to get them all the help they, they're, they're entitled to. I, th I think the impacts are down the road and we we can't predict them all. I mean, I could, we could all talk about the half a dozen clubs we know amongst us who who who, who go from game to game. You know, Mac Town is, is one of those, I, you know, down the road. I mean, it's the club I see most regularly. Um, you know, Oldham would be another. Um, but strangely enough, are they in any worse situation than, than maybe sort of, you know, a dozen other clubs that we weren't worried about a few months ago? Because... This crisis is affecting them in particularly unusual ways. They have they have a bigger wage salary, a wage bill. They massively rely on match day revenue. Um, they, they, there's so many different kind of variables to this problem that that it can be quite hard to say. Well, here's my ten I'm most concerned about because I'm sure I'll be forgetting some. I'll be missing some who have a really kind of acute set of circumstances as to why this is really hurting them. As you mentioned, Matt, I mean a lot of clubs 
were going the wrong way anyway. You've pointed out a couple, that are, and more so now, there's going to be a need to ensure that this doesn't continue down that road. On the podcast, Ali mentioned the, the future of football podcast you did for The Athletic on Thursday. You talk about one possibility being to regionalise the leagues. Do you, do you think that's something that would, in the long term, help these clubs to survive? Do you think it's a viable option? Is it something that, that, that the people who make the decisions are looking at? Well, that's very much my personal view. And I, and I know that there are many EFL fans who, who hate that idea. I mean, it, it's an idea that has, it's one of those ideas that comes around I don't know, every decade or so. And it was certainly part of the conversation post ITV Digital's collapse. Um, and then just, you know, just to remind people or not even remind people because I'm not, even I'm not that old. Um, we, we had regional divisions. And so I think 1958, we had a, you know, Div 3 North and South with two national divisions above us, Div 2 and Div 1. And then we went Div 3 and Div 4 on a, on, a, on a national basis. Right. And that's fine. And, you know, everyone knows the National League fifth tier is also national. And then you have north and south national league north and south so we have you know sort of a, a split sixth tier now i know i'm not the only person who thinks this now whether whether it's 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 come round again and um it's being actively talked about discussed looked at i don't know i've i've heard it i've heard it mentioned a few times i i've long been an advocate of it um and i have talked to club owners and chief executives about it and some like it, some sort of say, oh, no, it's old fashioned. And no, no, well, no, we don't need to do that. We're fine. You know, that's, you know, you're barking up the wrong tree. Because my point has always been around, um, you got to make football an event, right? And um, we love derbies. Derbies are events. Um, it would cut down on travel costs. I mean, I, I, people sort of go, oh, yeah, you make too much of the travel costs. It's fine. Um, all right, let's part the travel costs. I just think, you know, you get bigger away gates. Um, it would feel bigger. Um, I think it, um, you know local sponsors would like it. Um, it doesn't have to be you know non-league football copes pretty well with promotion and relegation into these situations. You just you just you know adjust the leagues. That can be quite exciting. You still have the cup competitions. I think that would also breathe a bit of life into the cup competitions. That would be your opportunity uh, to play out of your out of your division as such. I mean, it's we we, we see this in the states. With often the way they divide their leagues, uh, I, it's an idea that I've always liked, and I'm just looking at the finances of the game coming into this crisis and imagining how much worse they're going to be coming out of this crisis. And I'm just thinking, you're not going to get handout from government. You're not going to get a massive handout from the Premier League. What can the EFL clubs themselves do to? Increase their revenues, cut costs, just be more robust, and it's it's just it's just an obvious idea for me. And I, 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 you know, I can't tell you that it's on any agendas, but I can tell you, people are talking about it. I mean, I, I'm definitely somebody when I listen to the podcast too. You know, I I love following my team around the country. My some of my favourite away days are those four and a half hour trains up north, and uh, and it would be sad. To lose that, but I guess at the key, at the heart of this issue, to any listeners of ours who, you know, hear the talk of, of, of regionalising the leagues and panic, is there are going to have to be sacrifices, and that we have to realise that if we want to protect the game, protect the clubs, and protect the leagues, 
then it's probably not going to go back to being the same as it was before. Well, it's the same, George, that we've spoken about uh, in the last few weeks about you know, the, the potential for salary caps or stronger salary caps to be put in place in order to try and rebalance the, the financial outlook of the EFL, which has gone so far one way. These, all of these solutions are going to involve quite a lot of pain, I think it's fair to say, uh, in the short and, and midterm. Well, absolutely. I mean, I would, I would probably describe regionalisation as probably a more radical solution than, 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 than most clubs. Most clubs are ready for right now. It's just a little bit of a sort of a pet one of mine. And I love the I love the long away travel uh, days as well. It's how I it's how I learned the geography of this country. Really, it's it's how I it's you know it's it's you know, very fond memories of it. And I do stress that. Um, you know, that's what the cups could be for. It, we could do, we could do, uh, you know, a, a sort of a, a national playoff. You know, you could have your two champions through to the, to the, to the second tier, and then, you know, uh, teams playing off to to be that sort of third team. There are various things you could do to sort of still to still foster that kind of sense of travel and what have you. But, but you know, don't forget also if we're dividing this country in two. You know, you could still be talking about trips from from Barrow, hopefully, and Carlisle down to. Down to sort of um, you know Lincoln and Grimsby, or you know down into the Midlands, and, and likewise, you know from from you know the southwest all the way up into East Anglia. So there there be pretty, some pretty good trips there. Um, but anyway, enough on regional because I think I'm probably on my own a little bit on this one. Um, but um, look, salary caps uh, for sure, definitely being discussed. Were being discussed before. Um, the EFL, of course, conducted a great big review after Barry. With you know, they've they've talked about some of what that review revealed. You know, not not much to be honest, but I, I understand there's a bit more buried buried in the buried in the fine print and the detail of that. Um, you know, FFP with teeth, and I think to be fair to Rick Parry, we have seen that this year, before the crisis. You know, they were charging clubs, and if they didn't like. The, the sanction that an independent body gave, they were appealing it. They appealed it for Bolton. They've appealed it for Birmingham twice. Um, did they appeal it for Macclesfield? No, Macclesfield appealed theirs, but, you know, the, the Macclesfield faced another one. Southend faced one. I think Oldham are facing a charge. Sheffield Wednesday, of course, faced a charge. Derby County. You know, so we are seeing now, after, I think, a period where financial fair play, I don't know if it was not taken seriously, but... But the loopholes were there, and I think there was a bit of a laissez-faire attitude from the very top of the game. That often they would say in their defence, "We're only going as, in, in terms of what our clubs uh, want us to do." You know, they get a chance every year at the AGM to um, to voice their opinions and to change the rules. You know, we just apply those rules. But I think it would be fair to say the leadership at the EFL right now are taking a more proactive. Um, attitude towards financial fair play which i think is only a good thing one last point and maybe something that hasn't been discussed quite as much yet as it certainly will be in the future and maybe isn't as relevant to league one and league two is around player value and the fact that going forwards you know the the salaries that clubs pay pay their assets um, is based upon the fact that they are an asset they'll be able to recoup some of that value if need be because of the economic impact of this crisis any perception of, of value is certainly going to change and therefore that means that salaries players are being paid uh, is all out of sync as well. I mean, how much, maybe looking towards kind of the top end or, or kind of the mid-table top end of the championship, how much of a problem is that going to be 
for those sides who are suddenly paying players who they thought may have been worth 10, 12, 15 million pounds. You know, they're now worth a fraction of that, but still collecting the wages based on that level. Uh, I think this is a massive problem. And, th- and now we're getting, I think, into the really interesting areas of those sort of kind of, I wouldn't say unintended consequences of this, because no one intended this, is it? but but the the sort of the ones we haven't thought about yet, you know, the the impact on the transfer market is going to be massive. I mean, first of all, just from a so let's let's just talk about the you know the next one. We don't know when it is. We don't know when the window is. You know, there's there's a there's a genuine sort of kind of you know logistical issue there. How long is it going to be? What sort of how much time are the teams going to have to plan from one season to the next? Um, you know, so, I mean, Premier League clubs are probably going to be you know better able to cope. But you know, what what sort of what you know what sort of scouting are championship teams doing now? Um, so, so you know, big knock-on effect there on the transfer market, and um, you know, as a sort of net beneficiary of, of of transfers, particularly from from the division above, from Premier League, I'm talking to people who are saying, you know, the bottom is just going to drop out of that market. Um, you know, and you start to talk about kind of Jared Bowen type sales as being, you know, <laughs> when are we going to see those for a while? I mean, how timely was that? You know, you know, if, if Hull fans were upset to see him go for that figure. You know, I think in a year's time they're going to be going. Wow, you know, thank, 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 thank God we got that deal done when, when, when there was still some value in the market. Um, so, and then you know, if you if you sort of follow that line of logic, there's going to be clubs that come out of this better than others, and they are going to be in a position of relative strength. They're going to know that there's going to be distressed assets. There's going to be a fire sale element to this. So. You're absolutely right. You know how you value a player, how you play a, pay a player, what sort of length of contract you give them, and if you were setting yourself up, I'm going to you know use an example, someone like Brentford, who have been very very clever and rightly lauded for how they have gone about building their squad, um, and you know uh, playing good football. Being a sort of uh, you know a, a selling team, as, as let's be honest, most most EFL teams are, but 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 just doing it doing it with a le- with a level of intelligence. I sort of felt that they that they were they were they were almost going from window to window, certainly season to season, thinking we're gonna, we're going to get a bit better, we're going to hold on to our players a tiny bit longer, but we are still about producing players. Um, and so many clubs I know were looking at that model, and of course Brentford did it in a in a very sort of unique way in that they you know they, they did away with their academy and they went with the sort of b team approach and and the sort of players they they chased and and the sort of football program they gave them it was all very very innovative you know my, my, my concern is that those i don't mean to pick on them but that kind of innovative approach right now i mean yeah i think i think it could hurt them because it, the transfer market we have no idea how much players are going to be worth uh, this summer, January. We, we we just, we're guessing. And the agents I speak to are all saying, well, you know, you know that, that market's gone. Uh, you know, they're, they're talking about, you know, clubs that have the wherewithal to do this, building together a little war chest to just run around raiding, raiding distressed, you know, assets and, and picking up players on the cheap. I, I, I do worry. I do I do really worry because there's going to be a lot of pain at the end of this. I hope we're not going to lose clubs. I hope we're not going to lose many clubs. I really I really do. But but I suspect a lot of people will, will be will be forced into selling a player for a fraction of what they could have got in February. Well, not that you can sell them in February, but you know what I mean in January. So many different uh, areas of concern. So many different 
parts of the game uh, affected by the current pandemic. And and Matt, we're just so grateful that you have the knowledge and wherewithal, to, uh, wherewithal rather, to field so many questions uh, in such a short space of time on, on so many different and quite distressing points. So thank you so much for joining us. No, no problem. Anytime. I mean, I, I you know, I, I care because I think these are, these, these are the sort of the fascinating, these are the really interesting stories. Um, you know, the, the value of the, of the 71, 72 really, because that was the whole point. We were supposed to get up to 72 this season again. Um, this, this is what makes English football unique. You know, no one else has this 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 depth of professional football that goes on into the national league and even into the sixth tier that we have, and I think it's something to, that we should be proud of and we should we should cherish. And um, a shock like this um, definitely um, poses some really serious questions about about how we structure football. You know that 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 post nineteen ninety two. Um, settlement really, where we where we allowed the breakaway to happen. We we've kind of coped, we've kind of muddled on, and I think some of the issues that weren't really resolved or were or were possibly resolved poorly are coming home to roost now. Um, and um, you know, I think we have to think long and hard really about just making sure we are more ready for the next crisis, whatever that might be. Spot on. And while we are still left with a lot of questions uh, we are uh, every now and again going to be checking in hopefully with you and other experts and trying to see the lay of the land uh, we're very appreciative of your time if anyone listening has a greater appetite for more of, of of this sort of topic and these sorts of questions as mentioned matt was on uh, the ornstein and chapman podcast released uh, at the back end of last week that is free on all podcast platforms uh, Mark Chapman, Matt, Phil Hay, uh, and um, Simon Hughes as well, Hughes, yeah. talking about uh, all topics to do with the EFL and its uh, fight for survival. Uh, the Athletic, of course, sponsors this podcast. A lot of written goodness on the site at the moment uh, from EFL terms. You can look out for our League One and League Two teams of the year over the coming days after the Championship Team of the Year caused something of a splash. Uh, there's also uh, articles in-depth, classic athletic style about Jed Spence of Middlesbrough, uh, Mike Tavirik, who will be maybe, hopefully, joining Derby uh, when football resumes, a, a, a Dutchman meant to be signing soon. Michael Hector, uh, who is of Fulham, talking about life after Chelsea. And there's also a column that James Chester and Paul Warren write together uh, about how they're coping with the current situation. So plenty to read. And if you haven't subscribed and you'd like to sign up today, you can do so if you head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash ntt20pod. No doubt, Matt, we can expect something from you, maybe a collaborative piece. You've been doing a few of those recently yeah, in, we've in got the a coming few. days and weeks. Yeah, we've we got, we got a few in the pipeline. I don't, want to, I don't want to spoil them. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's any EFL ones we've got coming up. Um, yeah, yes, there is. I, I, um, yeah, I can think of one. But um, <laughs> yeah, the, ne the next couple for me are, are unfortunately a little bit Premier League orientated but um there'll, there'll be more efl stuff soon don't you worry <laughs> we'll let you off you've done plenty already uh, that was matt slater thank you so much for joining us before we wrap up before we say goodbye george i feel like we haven't caught up much on this podcast so what are you excited about this week <laughs> loads to be excited about uh, we've got of course going up going down coming out for the athletic on thursday we've got a quiz on friday as well absolutely all sorts to be excited about and also after uh, upsetting a small corner of Serbia 
last week. We're doing our League One and League Two uh, teams of the season so far. So looking forward to the um, yeah, looking forward to being told by a few people that our picks are quite clearly incorrect and we've forgotten some players. But uh, but yeah, should be good fun. I've got a question for you, London geography question. Would you consider Fulham as a place to be a suburb? No. Oh, that slightly ruins my Serbia to suburbia gag that I was about to make, which yeah, is a shame. De- definitely not. I'm sure Mitra probably lives in a in a suburb though. Yeah, fair point. I mean, we didn't get a we didn't get a huge amount of Fulham abuse. The the majority of the negative stuff we got was from a certain corner of of the Serbian internet population, as <laughs> yeah. you mentioned, which is altogether much more terrifying than uh, than anything that the Fulham fans could throw at us. But it was unwelcome in Serbia, sadly. um, Look, we've got League One and League Two coming out on The Athletic this week, so make sure that you check those out. All the other things that George mentioned as well. No doubt quite a lot of cooking for you as well, George. Maybe some running. Those are two things that we've both been doing Mm. a bit more of. Yeah, I'm cooking spaghetti carbonara tonight and going for a run tomorrow morning. So you've you've absolutely nailed it there. Um, But I was impressed by your 12 kilometres that you pulled off yesterday what will come next who's to who's to say (laughs) thank you guys for tuning in this week Uh, hopefully you got plenty from Matt and his discussion about uh, the EFL and the problems it's facing amidst the coronavirus pandemic Uh, thank you as always for your constant support of not the top 20 podcast thank you specifically to those of you who responded last week after I spoke about uh, family charity Joe's Trust and the difficulties it's going through. Uh, An amazing number of donations and shares and messages and something that that me and my family are unbelievably grateful for. So a huge thank you. Uh, You know, the problem's not solved necessarily. We're still looking for uh, as much support as possible, uh, financial and in any other way. So do head to my Twitter page, Ali Maxwell underscore, if you'd like to find out more about the problems that Joe's Trust is facing and ways in which anyone can uh, can lend a hand. But otherwise, uh, we'll be back again on Thursday with the Going Up, Going Down podcast on the separate podcast feed there uh, and the weekend quiz number six incoming towards the end of this week. Go well, everyone. We'll speak again soon.